Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Continuing our series, the book of Job. We're at sermon number three out of 90, so it will be here a while. And the theme of our study is the question of the ages, why? The study of Job will test your faith. A lot of people are afraid to go there with Job and for fear that anything that's happened to him might happen to us. But it will reveal wrong assumptions and expectations we have. We all have expectations of God that are not accurate. They're not biblical. Uh, they are, sometimes we're holding on to th- promises God never made, guarantees that he never gave. And so we're going to find as we study Job's life and study his response to tragedy, we'll have to look into our own hearts and see if if there's any Job in us. And there is. There's some of Job in us. There's some of Job's friends in us. Uh, Let's hope there's none of the devil in us, but uh, he's he's in a character in this study as well. So we started on a study of who's in charge, who really makes the final decisions in eternity. And let's read Job chapter 1, verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has. You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds have spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So a couple things to review. Number one, Satan has access to God. It's not the first time in Scripture, or the only time in Scripture we see that. We see it in the book of Revelation. He accuses us day and night before the throne. But the angels regularly present themselves before the Lord and give a report. We saw this when we were studying the book of Isaiah. We started the book of Isaiah. I jumped somewhere else. I mean, Zechariah. I jumped somewhere else, and I don't know if we'll get back to Zechariah, but here it was in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 10. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has sent, speaking of angels, to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, we have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. So we see an example of angels going throughout the earth and then bringing a report to the angel of the Lord, or to Jesus, who is often called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Now, the word angels. Now, in Hebrew, there are several different names for angels. There are uh, messengers, is one of the Hebrew words. They're also called watchers. Have you ever heard that term? Watchers. They observe what's going on in the earth. They're also called the holy ones. But in this particular case, the, the Hebrew literally translates sons of God. So when it says the angels came before the Lord, 
it says, the sons of God came before the Lord. Now we see that phrasing, those two words actually in Hebrew, we see that, that phrasing elsewhere. And we see it in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. I think it's, I love tracing down where this all comes from. And so we got to get the whole context of these angels. So Genesis 6, 1 says, when men, this is after the flood, when men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, I'm sorry, actually this is before the flood. Verse 2, the sons of God, same Hebrew words, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. Now there are some passages of the Bible that you just like, Tell me more. This, you, know, you, just tell, you say this, the sons of God went to the daughters of men and created giants. Okay, I want to know more about that. And there's other passages like that in the book of Jude. The book of Jude has some fascinating, just brief statements about spirits held in prisons of darkness. It's like, what? What's that? And so it, it bears, you know, we, we don't have any other biblical reference to it. There are some outside references that are not necessarily inspired. And so some of that we can, we have to always compare scripture with scripture. And so we see that these sons of God, because that's been the question that people have had. Who are the sons of God that had relations with the daughters of men? Some thought the sons of God were the godly line of Seth and that the daughters of men were the sinful line of Cain. But that isn't necessarily what it's saying here. And so it, it seems to allude to the fact that, that angelic beings, whether they were heavenly or demonic, had relations with humanity and created these Nephilim, these giants. And there, there's a belief that, that there was angelic and human relationships that, re that resulted in the demonic and that this is where we get demons. And they were wiped out in the flood. And so that's why they longed to occupy a body. Now a lot of this is extra biblical material. You're not going to find it in 2 James chapter 3. But I just want to whet your appetite a little bit. That it's, it's fascinating. Where did these giants come from? And the reality is they weren't entirely destroyed. Or they were destroyed but it happened again. Most likely. Look at Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. Before the Israelites are going into the promised land, look at what they, they find there. Remember, God told Moses, send out 12 spies. Spy out the land, bring back a report. Ten brought back a negative report. Only Joshua and Caleb brought back the positive report. Isn't it fascinating that 12 people can go to the same thing, see the same people, and give a different opinion, because it's all about your faith. It's all about your attitude. It's all about your heart. The 10 spies, all they saw were giants. The two said, we're giant killers. So it's, you can look at the same situation and have a 12 different opinions on it. How I many you know we need to have the right attitude? 
We, we may have a difficult situation, but our attitude will make the difference whether we have faith and victory or defeat. And so just after they came back, this is what they reported in Numbers 13, 33. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Some even think that Goliath may have been part of the Nephilim because there were other giants that David in, during that time of David. So I'm just going there, and we're, gonna, we're not going to stay there very long. But the, the phrase, the sons of God, is used in this same creation of these giants in the land. And there's a lot of fascinating theories, and that's all they are. They're just theories. We, we need to, you know, we don't base our doctrine on theories, but God's word. So, but again, we interpret scripture by using other scripture. So the Nephilim were before the flood and after the flood. And so the sons of, of men are another name for angels. And we see that Satan, again, is the accuser. Number two, Satan has free reign on the earth. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, the earth is Satan's domain. And our responsibility is to take it back. And so we realize that this is the kingdom of darkness, but Jesus brought the kingdom of light. And we are to bring people out of darkness into light. We are to capture them and bring them into this new kingdom. We see this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. I love this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So our job is to fight the darkness to do spiritual warfare, and every time someone gets saved, they come from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and their sins are forgiven. And so we also reviewed number three, God presents Job to Satan as a challenge. God brings up Job. God asks Satan, where you been? He goes, I've been here and there. And God says, have you seen Job in, in, in your travels? And so we need to realize God's in control of all this. And Satan is actually a lackey. He's being played, and he doesn't even realize it because God knows what he's doing from beginning to end, and we'll see that. And Job, God reiterates Job's character, and the accuser really has no grounds. He can't accuse Job. So the accuser, who does he accuse in this situation? God, you put a hedge around. And so the accuser can't help but accuse somebody. And so he can't accuse Job because Job's blameless. And so he's going to try to accuse God. And then Job's friends later on would accuse Job. But they were wrong as well. And so that we, that's where we left off. That was all review. You good? All right, let's get into the nitty-gritty now. Number four, Satan charges or accuses that Job's love is conditional. This is the accusation that Satan brings against Job. God says, look at my son Job. Isn't he awesome? And then Satan brings back an accusing. Yeah, he's only awesome because of what you do for him. And so letter A, just as humanity, remember the prevailing philosophy, theology, 
was that if you're good, good things happen. If bad things happen, it means you're bad. So just as humanity was convinced that God's blessing was conditional upon one's good deeds alone, so Satan was convinced that Job's obedience was based solely on God's protection and provision. And so this is the test. Did Job only serve God for the benefits, for the perks? And the question is, do we ever serve God for those reasons? And sometimes we have to admit it's true. And it's probably the inverse that happens more often, that we don't understand why bad things happen to us. And we, we, we believe that in, in that sense, God has been unfair. Is it true that some will only serve God when the blessings keep coming? Is it true? It certainly is. Look at John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The crowds were following Jesus for the perks, for the free food. I mean, who wouldn't go for free food, right? It's like, you know, Jesus had something better than a taco truck, man. He <laughs> loaves and fishes, and they were not following because they wanted him to be the Lord of their lives. They were following Jesus for the benefits. And we even see that in the parable of the sower, right? Some seed fell on rocky soil. It sprang up, but it had no root. And so when pressure came, they wilted. And then the seed among the thorns, the anxieties of life choked the life out of them. And so our heart needs to be good soil, not rocky soil or thorny, thorny soil. And so is, is our faith, or let's, let me phrase it this way. How is our faith sometimes conditional upon the blessings? Can you give an example of how some people, or even our, ourselves at times, we serve God for the perks? Any, any thought or example on that? Okay, makes you feel good. Yes, yes. Right. That's excellent, Jay. Jay said, a lot of people come to God out of fear of hell. I did. <laughs> I, re I remember back in the 70s, well, it was actually late 60s, early 70s, when the first the rapture movies came out. <laughs> Scared me to death. <laughs> and it was, you know, and so... I, you know, in many ways, I came to fear, or came to God out of fear. But like Jay said, if that fear, and it, I mean, it's not fear of God, it's fear of hell, fear of the rapture being left behind, that fear has to grow into love, or that fear won't hold us. And I've seen Christians scared into the kingdom and then fall away. If their, if their fear didn't turn to love. And it was interesting, when I became a youth pastor, I thought, I'm going to scare all my teenagers into heaven. <laughs> so I got those movies, I rented them. 
and they laughed during the entire movie because it was 70s fashion. I mean, it was bell bottoms, you know. And I'm, I'm trying to scare them into heaven, and they're laughing the whole movie. Didn't scare them a bit. And that, unless they thought, in hell, you have to wear those clothes. <laughs> so, yes, many times people, and, and, and listen, sometimes it's, our, it's the church's fault. We candy coat the gospel. We, we, only, we only talk about the perks, the benefits. Oh, just think, you know, you'll be blessed. You'll have all of these blessings. You know what? What happened to I surrender all? You know, that's where it begins. We, we got, some people want Jesus to be Savior, but not Lord. They want to go to heaven, but they don't want to give their lives over to the Lord. And we, he's not just Savior. He's Savior and Lord. And so, yes, I think the Christian life is the best life. If nothing else, your sins are forgiven. I mean, that's the greatest thing of all is that our sins are forgiven. And yes, there are many benefits to serving Christ. And I do believe in blessings, materially and spiritually. I believe God wants to give good gifts to his children. He's a good, good father. I believe in all the perks, all the blessings, all the benefits. But that is not why we serve Christ. And you'll know if it is if, when, when some of those are taken away. Then you'll know if you're serving him for the benefits or because he's Lord. And, and this is... And I don't want to steal my own thunder because I'm telling you the next few verses are powerful. But for Job to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's where we got to be. That's where we have to be. That Yes, he gives great gifts, but he also has the right to, to take those away. Now, when I, you know, just clarity... The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. He doesn't take them back. I'm talking about the blessings and the rewards because there are seasons of life where we will struggle. We'll go through hardship. We'll go through sickness. We'll go through financial struggles. These are to build up our faith because the, the thing you can give to God is your, your trust, your faith in him. And it's through the trials that we learn to trust. So there are going to be valleys and there are going to be mountaintops and we need to have the same commitment to the Lord in both of those. So letter B, God places hedges around his people for protection from Satan and protection from ourselves. Now this Hebrew word for hedges is only used a few times. And we see it in Hosea chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Therefore, behold, I, the Lord God, will hedge up her way, even yours, O Israel, with thorns. And I will build a wall against her that she, now, she shall not find her path. Story of Hosea. He married a woman named Gomer. That's the first mistake. Who, who marries a girl named Gomer. All I can think of is Gomer Pyle, you know. But it, it must have been a good name back in that day. But, uh, but God told him to marry a prostitute, Hosea, the prophet. And her name was Gomer. And she bore him some sons, and then she went back to her prostitution. And God said, that's an example of what Israel's done to me. 
Now, I'm telling you, being a prophet's a hard job. Can you imagine? Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. Great. (laughs) How's that going to look to the church people? The prophet got married to a prostitute. But she went back to her worldly ways, and God says, I'm going to put a hedge of thorns around her so she can't go all the way back. And so sometimes God puts a hedge of protection from the outside. Sometimes God puts a hedge of thorns on the inside to keep us from going where we don't belong, to keep us from going too far. So how do you think God does that? How does he build a hedge around us? What would, give me an example of what that might be. I mean, it's not a literal hedge, right? right. You know, not something that we have to trim and you know, turn into circus animals. So what are, how does God build a hedge around you? Yes. Through sickness? Yes. And that's a hedge that keeps us from going too far, perhaps. Good point. What, what are some other hedges God puts around us? Yes. Okay. Good people can be a great hedge of protection, can it? And in fact, a lot of that is, has to do with us, too. Good company, you know, bad company corrupts good morals. And so we need to build the right people around us to have a, a, health, a, a hedge of healthy people. Excellent. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Sometimes we have to have put a hedge around our mind, and that's why the Bible says take every thought captive and submit it to Christ. So you got to have that protection around your mind and not, and again, how many of you know we're garbage in, garbage out, so what we put in is going to come out, and so we need to guard our minds. And the Bible says that, guard your minds. It even says gird up your minds, and that was like the armor of the belt of truth. You, you would gird it up. And so that's an example of a hedge around our thoughts and that we would, I was just meditating on Philippians not too long ago that be anxious for nothing. And, this, and so that's what the Bible says, do not be anxious. But then it tells you how not to be anxious. But in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I'll tell you, even secular psychologists will tell you the power of gratitude the power of thankfulness. And if, if you're battling anxiety, and, and believe me, I've been there, one of the things you start doing is re- start thanking God for the good in your life and stop focusing on the negative in your life, the bad in your life. And so God, God's, the word of God is so practical, how we can live life. Do not be anxious. How? By being thankful. It will counter that fear and anxiety in our lives. And sometimes it's, it's a battle that can go on for a long time because we've got a lot of bad habits. What are some other hedges? Yes. Yes. And so obedience can be a hedge around us to protect us. And that's exactly what he told Israel. If you will obey me, I will bless your going in and coming out. I'll bless your needing trough. He, you know, he, he promised military protection. All of those hedges were, were conditional upon their obedience. And that's why they lost those hedges. Someone else raise their hand. Yes, Jack. Yes, 
he puts bad drivers in our path to test our patience. That's, that's for sure. That is definitely for sure. What are some other hedges that God puts around us to protect us from the outside or to protect us on the inside from where, where we shouldn't be? Any other thoughts? Yes. Yes. That's good. That whenever we're looking for a job and God opens doors or closes doors, that's why we shouldn't try to force open a closed door because that may be a hedge. That's an excellent point. And remember, God is in control, but he's not going to violate our free will. We can get out of the will of God if we're defiant and, and, and try to force open a door he has closed. We've all been through times where we wanted something really bad, like a job or whatever, something material or a spouse or whatever it may be. And we told God, I just want your will. And we're liars because when, when he says, nope, I'm not going to give that to you. What? You know, we like a spoiled brat and say, you don't love me. And, and so, but God Every intention he has for your life is good. Now, you're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death sometimes, but then you'll learn to fear no evil. So every example of life, if he has closed a door, and, I, and, and I've certainly seen this in my life, that years later, I've thanked God for the hedge, for the closed door, to keep me from going to that, on that path. And so we, we've got to learn to see the hedge, and then respond properly to it. And so the, rea the reality is, and this is an interesting thing too, how many know that sometimes God puts a hedge of angels yes. around us? He, the Bible does. There are such things as guardian angels and that God has assigned to protect us. And so think of all the benefits we have as believers. We have, there are angelic beings fighting on our behalf. If you've never read This Present Darkness, I encourage you to read those books. It opened the whole door of spiritual warfare for, the, for Christians to, to kind of see into the spirit realm. Fascinating stories by Frank Peretti. Uh, but there are angels doing battle on our behalf every day. Angels have protected us from harm and accidents and, and those drivers that test our patience. <laughs> so... So there are many types of hedges God puts around us. Letter C, and the Lord does bless the work of our hands. We need to realize if, if we have a successful business or we're blessed financially or whatever it may be, whatever your hand did was because of God's blessing. Now, we need to be mindful of that. that he and, and there are times where we need to ask him, bless the work of my hands. When I first moved to North Dakota and was thrust into the oil industry after 20 days of training, I didn't know how to do my job. I had no clue. And so I would, I would quote these scriptures, Lord, bless the work of my hands. Just bless the work of my hands. And you know what? He did. There, were, there was so much favor of God because I had nothing in myself. And that, sometimes that's when we get the most favor from God, when we can't do it ourselves, when we're totally empty of it ourselves. But I want you to know that God will bless the work of your hands if you ask him to. He will bless you. He will prosper you. 
but we have to remember it comes from him. And so Satan was right. He told the truth. There was a hedge around Job, and God had blessed the work of his hands. That's why he had so many camels and donkeys and sheep. And so look at Deuteronomy 2.7. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast desert. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. Psalms 90 verse 17. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I encourage you on your job, in your ministry, in your school, in your studies, ask the Lord to bless the work of your hands. Ask him to open your understanding, and he will. Now, are God's hedges and blessings conditional? What do you think? Yes? In what way? Unconditional upon what? Okay, we see that a lot of the blessings of the Lord, in fact, like Jay was mentioning, whole chapter on, if you obey, I will bless, I will bless, I will bless, I will bless. So we see that blessings often are conditional. A lot of the promises of God in the Bible are conditional upon our obedience. But there are blessings that we don't deserve, that we have not earned. It's grace. And so it's, it's true, both. There, sometimes his blessings are conditional upon our obedience, and other times his blessings are just because he loves us. I mean, it's how we treat our children, right? There are times we reward them for their obedience, and there are other times we just surprise them because we love them. God's our, our father like that as well. But I think that what rattles us is when the hedge comes down or the blessing stops or we hear a bad report from the doctor or we're concerned about a child or a grandchild. Then, then all of a sudden we're wondering what happened. And then we wonder, did I disobey? Now, not, er, not every tragedy is, based, is because you disobeyed, but sometimes it is. And that is to discipline us. God's just trying to get us back on the right path. That's all he wants us to do is be on the right path. So there are times that we may say that our love is not conditional. Now, we know God's love is unconditional, right? But is our love unconditional to God all the time? This is where Job makes us stop and think about it. Because even Job believed God's blessings were conditional. He's going to defend his blamelessness. Now, he doesn't sin, but he is going to say, you have, this should not have happened to me. God, come down here and give me an answer. I mean, he's going to get pretty frank in his conversations with God, which gives us hope. You know, God can handle our, our genuine concern and, and prayers. But one of the things that God wants to bring us to a place is where your love for God is not conditional on anything. And I would dare say, I can only speak for myself, I know that at times my love has been conditional. It's easier to serve God when everything's going well. It's when things aren't going well that it tests our love. 
Is it conditional? If God were not to give us another blessing, would we still love him and serve him? Satan is challenging and even tries to provoke God into hurting Job. And so God is, is, but again, God's in control of this whole thing. God knows the beginning from within. And so letter D, Satan's assertion is that in the absence of God's blessing, Job will quickly resort to cursing. If God takes away the blessing, Job will start cursing. And so Satan says, basically, God, you're bribing him to follow you. You take away the bribe, he won't follow you. And so number five, God says he releases Job into Satan's hands with limits. This is important. Now, we could all struggle with this and say, now did God cause it? And we're going to see it. God did not attack Job. Satan did. And, but the, the retort that comes back, well, God allowed it. Well, of course. Whatever happens has, has, has happened because God allowed it. Are you okay with that? Some of the things that have happened in your life that weren't pleasant, are you, are you okay with that? And that's where we're going to start digging into some areas. Um, I, and I'll be sharing some personal examples, some I've shared before. But when my, when my brother was killed at the age of 17 and I was 13, I had never experienced loss like that in my life. And I had never known pain like that. I can still remember the day it happened. I can remember different things, and, and maybe I'll share some of that along the way. But even though I was just 13 years old, I had already developed my theology that good things happen to good people, and bad things never happen to good people. And, I, and it, my faith hit a crisis at the age of 13, because I thought, this isn't supposed to happen to Christians. Anybody ever been in that place in your life, young or old, that, wait a minute, this, this isn't fair. We're Christians. You know, we, this only happens to bad people. But I, and so I could not shake it for, for some time. And even into adulthood, and I'll tell you when it really got hard is when I had children of my own. You know, my dad and mom buried their child. Now I'm a parent. And so I'll, I'll confess to you that I had, I had to revisit this when I had teenagers of my own as well. You hear, are you hearing my heart tonight? Have you struggled with some of those same questions? Well, we got to go there so that we can, we can have a, a healthy faith. Letter A, God did not strike Job directly, but gave Satan the authority to do so, whatever he willed, again, with limits. Letter B, God is no party to causing Job harm. He just released Job. In the same way, God has released things into our free will with some limits. God is sovereign, which means he's in control, but we also have a free will. Now, if you're Calvinist, you believe that you don't have a free will. 
everything is preordained, even your sin. The radical Calvinist. And, and there's, there's a movement among that where people say, well, I can have an affair, you know, I can lie, cheat, and steal because it's preordained. And where sin abounds, grace abounds. But how many know that's, that's, you know, that's an abuse of grace? And the reality is, is not, not everything is preordained. We still have a free will. God is so- sovereign. These, are, these can coexist, both the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And so certainly the sovereignty of God on a macro level like what's going on in the world today, I mean, you know, God's still in control. And he said these things would happen. Wars and rumors of wars, pestilence. It's just scripture coming to pass. So on a macro level, God is certainly sovereign. On a micro level, we have some free will in that sovereignty. Now, we can go real deep into that and say, because in Romans chapter 8, it says those he foreknew, he predestined. And so we can say that because of God's foreknowledge, God knew what you were going to do. He knew if you were going to accept him or reject him. Then he predestined you to do it. Okay, now we're just going to scratch the surface tonight there, and that's as far as we're going. <laughs> we are still responsible for ourselves. And, and we're responsible for how we respond to things that happen in our lives. And let her see, though God did not directly cause Job's suffering, he allowed it to happen. And this is the root of our problem of trying to understand why. God didn't do it, but he allowed it. And that's where our faith gets tested. Why would God allow this? Did God have the power to stop Satan here? Absolutely. He had the power to say, no, Satan, you can't touch him at all. But God actually gave permission for Satan to attack Job. Yes? Yes, and there, that is an accurate uh, citing of the scripture a lot of things a lot of people say god didn't god say that he won't give us more than we can handle no that's not true but you quoted it accurately he has not given us a temptation that we can't manage with his strength and with his help and so just as god set limits on satan god also knows our limits and so some may have different limits than others do you understand what i'm saying God may test others more deeply than us because we're, we don't have the limitation, or we have the limitation, that that may be too far to go. Uh, but only God knows that. We don't know it. But any other thoughts along? It's a, it's a great question, a, a great point. Is there, will God take us beyond our limits? Sometimes he won't take us beyond the limits of temptation but uh, there are times there that God will move beyond the limits of what we can handle on our own. That's why we need God. Because we cannot do this on our own. We can't reconcile this. Good, good statement. Now, we need to understand this. S- letter D, Satan is limited under God's supreme authority. This is not a yin and a yang. You know that symbol, the yin and the yang? That's a... 
that is a, uh, a religious belief that God and Satan are equal powers, it's, which is a lie. God and Satan are not equal powers. Satan is far weaker than God is. Satan is a created being. God created Satan. And so God is far higher, far more powerful than Satan. Satan's a corporal being. He can only be in one place at one time. Certainly he has demons and minions. Well, I shouldn't say minions anymore. That's totally ruined the little yellow guys. Uh, it just ruined the minion. But anyway, Satan has his demons, but he's limited. God is not limited. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time in the entire universe. And so we need to realize, yes, Satan is powerful, but he's not more powerful than your God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. And we need to have that same authority and exercise that same authority. Sometimes we act like God is equal to Satan. Or that Satan is more powerful than God. But you're right. The man that had a legion of demons, they were terrified. Don't send us into the pit this way. And the Bible says that the demons, in the book of James, demons believe and tremble. And so Satan's biggest lie is when Christians are afraid of him. That is the biggest lie because then he can do whatever he wants. But if he's so afraid you're going to figure this out. The greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And just as Satan trembles at the name of Jesus, he trembles when we speak the name of Jesus. And so, but this is part of, this is why the book of Job is included in the Bible. So we will see how much more powerful God is than the accuser. And so we need to always keep that in mind. We can take comfort in knowing that God is greater. Always God is greater. God had declared Job sinless, yet he allowed Satan to bring unimaginable tragedy into his life, thereby showing that bad things do happen to good people through no fault of their own. It is a reality. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And the book of Job is really not about a conflict between man and God but between God and Satan, and God is going to win. This is a spiritual contest, and Job is the prize. So we're going to dig a little bit. This is the first tragedy. We're going to see Job's response, and then we'll see the second tragedy that's even worse, and and what we're going to learn about that. Let's pray. God, we love you, not just for the benefits not just for the perks and the blessings. God, we want to be in a a place in our faith where we love you because of who you are. And so, Lord, we don't always understand the trials of life, the tragedies, the hardship. But, Lord, we know that you know best. You always know best. And so, Father, in the times where we can't answer the questions, we need to trust you. So, Lord, I pray that we would not live in fear of Satan, but we would live in faith in God. In Jesus' name, amen.